But tonight I want us to focus, as we did last week, on the area of hypocrisy, but specifically tonight in the area of our prayers. Last night we talked about hypocrisy in our giving. Tonight we'll talk about hypocrisy in our prayer as Jesus is dealing with these different uh, religious things that we do, not bad things, in fact, good things we ought to pray, but how sometimes even with good things, religious things, godly things, they can be done with the wrong attitude and can become hypocritical things. A hypocrite, as we learned last week, is somebody who puts on a mask. There's somebody who says one thing and does something else. If you've ever been to a play or been to a show of some kind, you'll see actors on the stage as they act out something. If you watch a movie, you see actors on the screen. But that's not who they really are. That's just who they're acting or pretending to be. And in the spiritual world, when we think of our relationship with God, it's so important that we be genuine people, people who say and do the same things. Don't say one thing and do another, not to be a hypocrite. We looked at the first verse of chapter 6 that deals with, I would say, kind of a summary of these three areas, giving, prayer, and then, as we'll look at in a few weeks, fasting. But let's read verse 1, and then we'll jump down to verses 5 through 8. Matthew 6, 1, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. And then look down in your Bible to verse number 5. The Bible says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing, I'm sorry, do in the synagogues, and, uh, hang on, I, I got all twisted around. I looked back at verse 2. Let me go back. For they love to pray, verse 5, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Did you notice in verse 5 and in verse 4, the focus of, I'm sorry, verse 5 and verse 6, the focus of the reward? Verse 5, the reward comes from others seeing you. Verse 6 comes from your heavenly Father. Verse 7, he says, But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask Him. What wonderful truth. Let me read verse 8 again. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask of Him. How does prayer function within the infinite mind and plan of God? What is the function of prayer? Well, the hyper-Calvinist says that God is sovereign and that if you take that position to its extreme, 
then you would say that God is going to perform His work according to His perfect will, regardless of what you pray or even if you pray at all. Prayer is nothing more than just tuning your heart to God's already pre-established, preordained will. The Arminian view holds that God's actions as they pertain to us are determined largely on the basis of our prayers. God's just up in heaven waiting for us to ask, and then He'll do whatever we tell Him to do. But from these two views, it would seem that prayer is either lining up yourself with God's will, regardless of what He's already intended to do, or it's beseeching God to do something that otherwise He would not do. So which is it? Well, these two viewpoints seem to give only one option or the other. But the Bible teaches and supports ideas on both sides of this. That God is sovereign, that He is in charge. He does have a will and a purpose, and He will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. But that God also, as our Heavenly Father, wants us to pray. And God loves to answer the prayers of His children. So I wouldn't say it's one extreme or the other, rather... God will do what He's going to do, but God also wants you to pray because God will answer your prayer at the same time. And you say, how does that tension work? I say, it's because He's God. It's because He's God. It's not so much for us to understand all of how prayer works, especially when it comes to the mind of God. Rather, it's for us to know that God has commanded us to pray. It's not so much that we ought to know how all of it works from God's perspective, but rather, how ought we to be, how does God want us to be when we come before Him to pray? The Bible says in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He heareth us, and whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. If you take that verse, as you should, then you ought to believe that you ought to pray about everything and you ought to expect God to answer when you pray and that your prayers have an impact on the mind and direction of God and His will. John 15, 7, Jesus said, If ye abide in me, my words abide in you. Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Then on the other hand, Psalm 115 verse 3 says, But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. So if you took that verse without those other verses, you would say, well, then what good is it to pray at all? Because God's just going to do what God wants to do no matter what I do. 1 Samuel 2, verse 6 and 7, he says, The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. Again, if we were to take that verse without the verses we just looked at, we'd say, well then, what good is it even to pray for somebody's health or healing? Because God's just going to do what God wants to do anyway. Because of this 
tension or these verses that we struggle to reconcile all that we know about God, some might say, well, then prayer doesn't have any value. Why even bother praying? But the Bible is clear that God is sovereign. He's in charge of the universe. At the same time, the Bible is equally clear that God calls on His people to beseech Him in prayer to implore His help in guidance, in provision, in protection, in mercy and forgiveness and countless other needs. We ought to pray. So let's look together at what Jesus taught us about prayer here in Matthew chapter 6. We won't look at all of His teaching. Some of that will have to wait for some coming weeks. But here in verse 5, He begins in talking about prayer. He says, And when thou prayest. Now, first of all, that he's assuming that we are praying, right? This, there's no, well, if you pray, it's when you pray, when you pray. If you're taking notes, I want you to notice how we're breaking it down tonight. First, the audience of prayer. So we are praying. We know we're praying. We ought to be praying. If you're not praying, you don't have a right relationship with God. It's as simple as that. Those who have a close relationship with God are people who pray. People who don't pray don't have a close relationship with God. So he says, when you pray, he says, not thou shalt not be as the hypocrites. As we talk about the audience of prayer, we see first in verse 5, the false audience. That's other men. Other men are the false audience. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Do you hear the focus or the audience of false prayer, hypocritical prayer? It's focused on what other people see, how other people think. And Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. You know, in the Bible, we learn that really there's no other nation throughout history that has had as much attention from God than the nation of Israel. They've had more direct communication with God than any other nation throughout history because they are God's chosen people. And if anybody ought to know how to pray, it ought to have been the Jews. And yet, sadly, because of the corruption of the Pharisees and the legalism that had crept in because of the pride and arrogance that's, that's natural in all of us, by the way. They had, while they were praying, they weren't really praying to God. Their prayer had become ritualized. Wording, forms, and routines were set. Prayer had just become this ritualized religious experience. In Deuteronomy 6, we have the prayer, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It's known in Hebrew as the Shema or the Shema. And this was often repeated three times a day, nine in the morning, at noon, and at three in the afternoon. By the way, can I say it's not wrong to pray three times a day? It's not even wrong to pray the same thing three times a day. But I want you to, I, I've got it listed in your notes. I want to give you six different problem prayers or prayer problems that we see that often creep in and that definitely had crept in with the prayers of the people in Jesus' day. 
See, these ritual prayers are not wrong if they're accompanied with an attitude of sincerity. But often when it comes to prayer, it can be accompanied with an attitude of indifference or even pride. The first problem, first prayer problem, is that it can become repetition or repetitious and its true meaning is forgotten. You know, if prayer is just something, well, Lord, thank you for the food. In Jesus' name, amen. We ought to thank God for our food, right? I hope that you pray before you eat and you thank the Lord for your food, but that's an easy one that can become repetitious, right? Or how about this one? Happens on Wednesday nights in the adult prayer meeting. We flip over our prayer sheet. Hey, Lord, pray for the missionaries. And then on to the next thing. Well, we just repeated it. Ought we to pray for our missionaries? Sure. But if it just becomes a repetitious thing and we forget the true meaning, then that's a problem with our prayer. The second prayer problem I see is that it can sometimes become prescribed prayer. Kind of like the Shema in the Old Testament. The Jews would repeat this prescribed prayer over and over. And because of that, they forgot the meaning of what they were really praying. I think this happens even when I hear people praying what we call the Lord's Prayer sometimes. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And they're just repeating it, they're saying it. It's sort of this prescribed prayer. Well, Jesus said it, so if we repeat his words, that prayer must have power. No, that's a problem when it comes to prayer. That's a misunderstanding of what prayer should be. Prayer problem number three is sometimes it can become limited. What do I mean by that? Prayer, when we pray just at certain places or times. It's like, well, all right, it's Wednesday night. We better pray because we're supposed to pray on Wednesday night, right? Well, what about Thursday night? Can you pray on Thursday? How about Friday? <laughs> well, it's, it's time to eat. We better stop and pray before we eat. That's great. Can you pray after you eat too? Yes, you can, right? So we have to be careful with our prayer that it doesn't just become limited. I can only pray at a certain time or a certain place. Well, pastor, we better not pray in the middle of the sermon. You know, we're preaching. Well, we can't stop and pray. Yeah, we can stop and pray. Well, pastor always prays at the end of the service. Okay, that's fine. It's good to do those things, but we don't want to limit our prayers and say, well, it has to always be in this certain time or place. Prayer problem number four. Sometimes prayer can become long just for appearance's sake. I remember sometimes as a boy sitting there with the men during the prayer meeting on Wednesday nights and hearing them pray and pray and pray, and I thought, how can they even talk that long? I don't know, like my knees would start hurting and I was on the floor, on that tile floor in that office over there where the men used to pray in the lobby, in our school lobby, and and there was a tile portion of the floor, and I remember always seeking out the part that had carpet just because my knees would get sore, and I'd think, when are they going to stop praying? And then I would notice on those metal chairs, my elbows would start to hurt, you know, and then, then I'd put my forehead on the chair because it was cool, and then it would get hot because my head was hot, and then I'd move to another spot because that part would get slippery because my sweaty forehead, and I'm moving around trying to find a cool spot on my, prayer, on my chair to pray, and I'm thinking, how do these guys pray so long? Can I say it's not wrong to pray long? But if you're praying long just to pray long, that's a problem. 
fact, Jesus spoke about this in Mark 12, 40. He says, those which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, these shall receive the greater damnation. Pray long. You can pray without ceasing, but don't pray long just to make it sound like you're more spiritual than somebody else. Prayer problem number five, meaningless repetition or babbling. In other words, just repeating the same phrase over and over and over See, that is really a, a practice that comes from pagan ritual. If you look in the Old Testament in 1 Kings 18, as uh, Elijah's on the top of Mount Carmel and the prophets and priests of Baal, they cried out to Baal for like over six hours. Oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, hear us. We looked just recently in Acts chapter 19 where Paul and some of these other men were there in Ephesus. And remember, the silversmiths got in an uproar and they cried out for over two hours, Great is the goddess Diana. And this was a, a pagan ritual. If you just repeated the same things over and over, therefore God was going to hear you. Meanless repetition or babbling. Prayer problem number six is the problem Jesus deals with in this passage. And that's where we're going to focus tonight. It's the problem of praying to be seen and heard by others. This is a major problem. He's telling them, don't pray like a hypocrite. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. And how does he describe the hypocrites? He says, they love to pray standing in the synagogues. In other words, they were praying to attract attention. Can I say, though, that we need to make sure we read this with careful understanding? It's not wrong to pray in public, though. Like, if it was wrong to pray in public, then I shouldn't have prayed at the beginning of the service, right? In fact, in Scripture, we see many examples of people praying in public. As Solomon prayed to, when the temple was dedicated, you can see Jesus praying. You can see he prayed on the cross, right? That was in public. There's lots of praying in Scripture that's in public. So it's not wrong to pray in public, but some might take that idea from this passage if you're not careful to understand what he's saying here. And we'll look at that a little bit closer. It's not wrong to pray even standing up. He says standing in the synagogues. Some might say, well, therefore it's wrong if you're standing up. You have to be on your knees every time you pray. No. In fact, we see both in Scripture. We see people praying on their knees. We see people sitting down. We see people standing up and praying. So the problem is not where you pray. The problem is not how you're standing or sitting while you pray, he also says here, and they pray in the corners of the streets. You say, well, then prayer can't happen out on the street. No, that's not what he's saying either. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, look at the next phrase in the verse. He says, they love to pray, standing in the synagogues, in the corners of the streets. But then he says, that they may be seen of men. The problem was that they had the wrong audience, the false audience in their prayer. It was a desire to be seen of men. See, 
Sin always begins in the heart. Your outward actions are a result of an inward problem. Don Sisk had a really nice rhyme for that. It was something about stinking thinking. He talked about it when he was here at the missions conference. Our sin is a problem of the heart. A hypocrite is not praying to God, they're praying to themselves. In fact, Jesus gave an example of this in Luke 18, 11. Remember when he told the story about the publican and the Pharisee who prayed and the, Pharise- and the publican cried out to God and he says, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But the Pharisee, he said this, Luke 18, 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this publican. Hypocritical prayer is not prayer to God at all. It's prayer to yourself. And Jesus says, at the end of verse 5, Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So in prayer, it's really important that we have the right audience. We've looked at the false audience, that's other men, to be seen of men. Let's look at the true audience, that's God. The true audience of our prayer ought to be God. Who are you praying to? He says in verse 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. If God is not involved in your prayer, then your prayer is only a pretense. It's just noise. God must be the focus of your prayer. Have you ever thought about this? Prayer is not man's idea. It was God's idea. There could be no prayer if God was not willing to listen to us. We could not pray properly if God had not taught us how to pray. So when should you pray? Well, anytime. All the time. Any time is a good time to pray. Where should you pray? Well, here he gives us the example. He says in verse 6, When you pray, so that's praying any time, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. He gives the example of a closet or a private place. Now, again, as we've already seen, public prayer is okay because they were praying publicly in other places in Scripture, and that was fine. But I think we get a a picture of what he's describing to us here when he says, And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father. See, we ought to pray in a way that is free from distraction, and our focus of our prayer is God. God. Public prayer is okay, but the attitude of prayer should always be one of private 
communion with God. In other words, if you're praying with a group of people and you know someone else in your group really needs to hear what you're saying, you're not praying in a way that tries to convict them about their sin. No, just, just talk to God. Hey, there was one Christian from the 4th century, so this is a long time ago, and he wrote that Christians in his day were known to pray. They, they would go in their quiet, private room, and they would pray as loudly as they could so people down the hall could hear that they were praying in their room. That's not what he's saying here. You see how people try to take and twist it? The problem here, again, is not the location of your prayer. The problem is the attitude behind your prayer. Are you just praying to be seen of men and heard of men? Or are you praying to commune directly with God? Now, oftentimes, I think the majority of the prayer in our life ought to be secret, private prayer alone with God with nobody else around in the room. If your only prayer that you ever do is public prayer, you probably don't have a close relationship with God either. Say, why do you say that? Because it's hard to really be able to pray without distraction and be able to carry all of our burdens to the Lord if all of our prayer is done in a public setting. So we all definitely, I think, ought to follow this example of going in the closet, going in the private place, finding the quiet space, free from distraction, free from others, so we can make sure we're focused directly in our communication with God. So please don't misunderstand the passage. It's not saying that you cannot pray in public, but it is saying when you pray, you need to be focused on being alone with God. Alone with God. And he gives us a little more insight here in verse 6. He says, Pray to thy Father which is in secret. Isn't it good to know that when you're all by yourself, God's still with you? Your Father's with you when you are in secret. And he says, Thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. You know, if you have to tell other people that you're praying, then maybe... That's not the best reason to be praying. It's not wrong to tell somebody you pray for them. I'm thankful for all the people in our church. Say, Pastor, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. That's encouraging. But don't just tell me just so we can be good friends. Please pray for me too. <laughs> right? You know, one of the greatest blessings I've experienced when it comes to prayer is praying for those things in secret that nobody else knows what you're praying about and then seeing God answer those prayers in secret, and you go, I didn't manipulate this into being. Nobody else knew about this, just me and God. Sometimes we can be guilty of trying to manipulate others through our prayer. Well, if I pray loudly enough about it, other people will hear what I'm praying, and then maybe they'll do it too. But isn't it a blessing when you just pray about something, some need, some burden, some struggle, just between you and God, and you see God answer that prayer? Don't misunderstand tonight. It's not wrong to pray in a group. We ought to pray in groups. He says that in the scripture. We ought to pray publicly, even in church. That's a good thing to lead others in corporate prayer. 
If you're teaching a Sunday school class, you ought to pray with your class. If you're in a ladies' Bible study, you ought to pray. If it's you and somebody else gathered to study through a continue book or some other devotional book, you ought to pray with one another. We ought to be praying with other believers. But the true audience of our prayer is not one another. The true focus of our prayer needs to be God. Because when you pray in secret, you can't receive any reward from your prayer unless the God who's in secret with you rewards you. If you pray publicly, you might get some reward from others. But when you pray privately, nobody even knows you're doing it except God. Nobody can hear you except God. There's nobody else who could even try to answer the prayer except God. So I think what Christ here is doing, he's making a gigantic contrast between the hypocritical prayers of those who pray to be seen and heard of men and the, the right kind of prayer that focuses on God. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 5, it says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. This passage speaks to the truth that God is the one who sees in secret. God knows all of your secrets. So we talked about the audience of prayer. Let's talk for a few minutes about the content of our prayer. The content of our prayer. Look at verse 7. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. We see in verse 7 this false content or meaningless repetition. Meaningless repetition, meaningless jabber. The Gentiles believed that prayer was a matter of quantity. Now again, Scripture does not say we shouldn't repeat the same prayers over and over again. In fact, the story in Luke chapter 18 of the widow who prayed with great importunity. In other words, she came to this judge over and over and over again with her request. The problem is not that she repeated her prayer, or the, it was positive that she repeated her prayer. The problem with repetition is not repetition. The problem is the heart behind the repetition. If you're just repeating yourself over and over just to feel like, well, I prayed about it, well, that's not real prayer. Well, we prayed before the meal, we prayed before bedtime. Well, do you know what you're praying and why you're praying? What's your heart behind what you pray? You see, what is wrong is the mindless, indifferent recitation of spiritual-sounding words over and over without a heart that is focused on God. So false content is just meaningless repetition. Verse 8, he tells us what true content of our prayer should be. 
Matthew 6, 8, Be not ye therefore like unto them, like the hypocrites, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask Him. What's the true content? It's sincere requests. Sincere requests. Isn't it a blessing to know that God knows what you need? First John, or I'm sorry, John 14, 13 says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. God knows what you need, and He wants you to ask for what you need. The issue here is very simple. It's an issue of the heart. We ought to pray with a devout heart, with pure motives. We ought to pray with our attention on God and not on men. Pray with confidence that God hears and answers every request made to Him in faith. God always repays our sincere devotion with a gracious response. If our request is sincere, but not according to His will, He will answer but maybe not in a way that you expect. And many times, it's in a way far beyond what you could expect, in a much better way than you could expect. But He always will answer. He always will answer. Jesus' message is very simple, but it's a message I think we all deal with because we all struggle with pride at one level or another. Sometimes we struggle with a false view of God and think, well, it doesn't even matter if I pray at all. God's already made up His mind. He's already going to do what He's going to do. What good is it to pray? Well, you're not taking God at His word then because God asks us to pray. God tells us He hears and answers our prayer. So I believe we need to trust God enough to pray. And we need to focus on God, not on what other people think of us when it comes to our prayer. Not be focused on just getting attention for ourselves, as the hypocrites were doing, because that was their reward. But rather focus on giving the glory to God and communicating with Him our deepest needs, our struggles, our secrets. Every single thing we ought to take to Him in prayer. One of my favorite passages on prayer is, in the book of Philippians chapter 4, which says that we are to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. That means he wants to know every single request that you have. And he says, in the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds by Christ Jesus. We have a lot to rejoice in the Lord about. And we have a lot to pray about. And God wants to hear every request. Let's not pray just to be seen or heard of men. Let's pray because we get to go directly before the throne of grace. He's promised help in time of need. Your prayers, prayed out of sincerity to God, 
are heard by God. And your prayers have an impact on the hand of God. Say, how do you know that? Because that's what the Bible teaches us. That's what we've looked at tonight. At the same time, you can trust that even as you pray, God knows what is best for you. And God will be faithful to perform it. So we're not praying to some cold, hard person who's already made up his mind. It doesn't matter what you say, he's just doing it anyway. At the same time, you're not praying to some person who just acts on a whim and does whatever anybody says. No, you're praying to the God of the universe who has all knowledge, all power, but he's your heavenly father if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior. And he loves to hear and answer the prayers of his saints. Let's pray and then we'll take some requests and divide up and pray together to the Lord tonight. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Help us, Lord, to trust in you. Lord, to trust you enough to pray. It's easy to become pious and say, well, God's... God and he's going to do whatever he wants to do so it doesn't matter if I pray I just need to follow him Lord but that's just fake piety that's just pride help us to humble ourselves before you Lord help us not to take the attitude that we know what's best and that we're angry with you because you don't do it exactly the way we think it ought to be done instead Lord may we come to you not as hypocrites but in sincere devotion with a heart that is focused on you and you alone, not in showing off, not in getting the applause of men, but rather just communicating with our Heavenly Father. We thank you that you want to hear from us and that you answer prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.